when you have the camera, they're more vulnerable. People need to be heard and want to be heard. And I didn't realize that a lot of these people I was interviewing had never been asked about these questions or asked about these perspectives. But the curiosity led to them wanting to share out, you know, whatever they wanted to say. And I realized there was a lot of value in that because people were saying stuff that still affect me and changed my life, you know what I'm saying? So when I realized that the camera allows for vulnerability from other people, I was like, okay, I like this. How can I continue to apply it? What up? Welcome to the Rel and Friends podcast brought to you by Art of Storytelling. I am Rel, and this is the podcast where I interview my friends. Each week, I will pull from my large network of creative professionals to talk all the good, the bad, the ugly, the nuances of having a career in the creative field. Lots of interesting things, lots of fun things too. So anyone that's looking into becoming a creative professional or might be doing something creative on the side and wants to make it their full-time thing, we hope to provide some insight, some inspiration and support right here every week. Some updates from me. I will be doing some traveling again. I'm going to be headed to the Bay Area. It's looking like it may be early December. Quick stopover. I'm going to continue on to Hawaii, and that's just going to be a full-on relaxing trip to end the year. I'm very excited for that. But while I'm in the Bay Area, I may do a little networking event, depending on demand. So if you're interesting, uh, hit me up either at rel.mov on IG or artiststorytelling.com. Co. I've been kind of brainstorming an idea of doing an end of year networking event and giving everyone an opportunity to kind of showcase their work from the year. I feel like everyone I know does really cool stuff, man. We need more reason to celebrate ourselves. So this could be a good outlet to do that and network at the same time, have some drinks some libation, some good music from one of my thousands of DJ homies, John Arias. First, I got to plug my own social media, rel.mov on IG, also artiststorytelling.co. If you want to see all the podcast clips, I'm going to eventually put all of the professional work I'm doing there. I'm just so far behind. I need an assistant. Anyone out there want to help me? Anyone that's really good at social media, that wants to do it for me, we can make some trades. Or if you want to get paid, you hit me. But you got to be an expert, man. I got to learn from you. That's my rule about hiring contractors. I got to feel like I could learn from you. Or you're just a good guy, good gal that wants to learn. Today, I'm excited to welcome my friend Darius onto the podcast. Kind of a newer friendship. I've started working with him late last year, so it hasn't even been a year yet, but we've clicked like we've been longtime friends. Amazing collaborator, very young, but so talented and all around good guy, a young guy with an old soul. We can talk about old music, new music. We have the same taste. He is a photographer first, but also does amazing videography work. The energy that Darius brings to a shoot is always positive, motivating. And I hope what everyone gets from this is the thought of surrounding yourself with young energy. So I'm in my 40s. I'm an older guy. 
people like me who have been doing creative work for a long time tend to get jaded. I attribute that to, you know, being forced to do work that you don't want to do sometimes. When you're a creative, say you do music and then you end up doing jingles all day because that's what pays the bills. It can kind of suck after a while because that's not what you really want to do. You want to make music. So older guys tend to get jaded. But then when I surround myself with young people like Darius, it gets me hungry again. You see that hunger. You see that motivation. You see that desire to learn more, to get even better. And it's kind of a centering, realigning my goals, my vision, and also just being able to pass down knowledge. I put in several hours in this, and when I meet someone that's young and hungry and willing to open up their ears and learn more, it's exciting for me to pass down the knowledge. I look forward to everyone hearing this interview with the homie Darius. He's on IG as dr.iley. I guess it's for Dr. Eiley, Darius Riley, with a dot in the middle. He also operates under his company name Our Voices, spelled H-O-U-R-V-O-Y-S-E-S. He posts his amazing work there, and he is entering the influencer space himself. Very entertaining to watch, so make sure you check that out. So without further ado, let's get into this interview with the homie, Darius Riley. Can you give me your favorite rap line? Oh, that's tough, bro. (laughs) That's the first answer everyone said so far. (laughs) I listen to so much stuff. I know. You know what? Just because it came to the top of my head. I'm going to go with uh, Vince Staples Bar. I'm just a nigga until I fill my pockets, and then I miss the nigga. They follow me while shopping. I feel like Mickey Riches. They feel like Muddy Waters. So tell me, what's the difference? So tell me, what's the difference? And he say, my mama was a Christian. Crip walking on blue waters was fading up. The- All right, that's pretty much that, uh. that first bars of that song. When I first heard it, I was like mind blown. What did you take from that verse? Oh, man. He said, I'm just a nigga until I fill my pockets. And then I'm Mr. Nigga. They follow me while shopping. Either way, in that situation, with money or without money, he's just a nigga. But they address him as Mr. Nigga because he has money because they want his money. He later on goes to say, I feel like fuck Versace. They raping niggas pockets. So he's talking about like exploiting black people for like buying their luxury items, Louis Vuitton, all these people that don't really fuck with black people but always want black people money. And then on the flip side, black people will fucking with these companies that don't really like them. And then on top of that, after that, he says, I feel like Mickey Richards. They feel like muddy waters. So tell me what's the difference. So tell me what's the difference. I think Mickey Richards was a, he's like a white rock star. I can't think of what group or what band or he's like a pioneer in rock and roll, but muddy waters was the initial pioneer of rock and roll. So the way that he's referring to is white people feeling like this black rock star. And he's feeling like this, you know, if y'all get to be Muddy Waters, y'all want to feel like y'all taking our black culture. I'm going to pretend to be this person. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, they don't yeah, actually yeah. know how it feels to be Muddy Waters, who is known for playing, I want to say the guitar back in like the 40s or 50s, like pioneer uh-huh. rock. Uh-huh. So, yeah, he talked about the appropriation of black culture, black dollars, black music in that bar. 
I'm just a nigga Until I fill my pockets And then I miss the nigga They follow me while shopping I feel like making riches They feel like muddy waters So tell me what's the difference So tell me what's the difference Hey I like to start every podcast with a random memory that I have with the person I'm interviewing. And I was thinking back is like, what's crazy is we haven't really known each other like more than a year, right? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, we, yeah that's crazy. That's and, but we've seen each other so many times. So the memory is fairly recent, but we went on a trip for this recent project that's still going on in post-production. We went to Oakland, Stockton, San Diego, and Chicago for production and the memory i have is we must have ate like 50 tacos <laughs> that week <laughs> bro <laughs> how did you feel like after we ate all those tacos i ain't gonna lie i ain't gonna lie my physical health has not been the same since because <laughs> it was i think it was not just tacos that's the thing it was yeah quesabidia tacos yeah 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 yeah, yeah like yeah, bro yeah. we had a quesabidia pizza one day <laughs> yeah 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 that's exactly bro, what i'm thinking <laughs> like my blood pressure has been high ever since then <laughs> we we definitely consumed like a large animal that week yeah, yeah between the three of us me you and Halloween, yeah. yeah yeah we went in but yeah let's get into your background first of all where are you from and what do you do all right for so my name is darius riley I'm 26 years old. I'm from East Palo Alto, California. Yada, I mean, real 650. Kavanaugh flooded in the house. I would first say I'm a photographer. I feel like I'm always going to be a photographer, and I feel like I always have been since the ultrasound. You know what I'm saying? So it's not going nowhere. I'm studio photography. I had a studio in Oakland for a while. Videography. I'm a good second shooter, but I'm also a good DP if you ever need that. Drone. I'm a great drone operator, I like to think and uh editing editing photos and videos so when it comes to the camera i'm on both sides of the camera i can be in front of the camera i can model i can do interviews so it's a little bit of everything that requires you know the eye and the ear i'm somebody who hopes to inspire the youth to follow their dreams and don't do what's normal because you're not normal my goal through my craft is to show other people what they can do outside of the norm Word, word. And I ask that because, like, everyone has their one kind of identity. Like, when people ask me, I say cinematographer. Well, it depends on who's asking me. But, like, I'll say cinematographer, and some people will say videographer. But there's so much that goes behind it. Like, I do editing, sound, design, you know what I mean? So it's, like, it's important for people to know, like, even though you have one, like, your identity is photography, like, you have these many skill sets that complement that, but also like that's what makes you successful. That's what brings you money. You know what I'm saying? How old are you? 21? 26. Oh man, I keep, I keep forgetting. <laughs> so how many years have you been in the game doing photography, like for fun? And then how many years professionally would you say? I say for fun, we'll go back to 2009. That's when I first picked up a DSLR, like a big body I think it was like a D300 or something like that. Nikon D300S was the seventh grade. But I remember the first time holding the camera, I was like four years old living in Las Vegas. It was a Polaroid. So if we count that, this is four. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I would say middle school for real is when my interest got started. And then professionally would be, I remember the day, man. It was like June of 2016. That's how long I've been taking photos professionally. What marked the beginning of your professional career? Was it like the first check you got? 
Nah, man. I, the first shoot I ever did, I didn't even get paid for. It was professional because there was a trade and my big homie, Kivante, I went to college with. Well, I had been getting probably paid in college to do stuff, but I consider this one as the first professional because it was outside my college network. It was a shoot in Oakland and I just got out the hospital from being sick and it's the first shoot I did as a photographer. I got paid in like art from like Ecuador and like jewelry from West Africa and like it was a trade. I was like, oh, this is tight. So I was like 18 when that happened. Where did Okay, so I want to get into your background a little bit because, like, as I've gotten to know you this year, I kind of want the people listening to kind of understand, like, the resilience that I see in you because you've been through a lot. We're not going to be able to fit it all in this show, but can you give a little bit of background of kind of, like, what really got you to make that decision to go all in with photography? Yeah. I think I'm going to be transparent up front, like, I come from a place where a lot of people go through a lot, but I've been blessed to have a unique village. Still, you know where I'm from, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you should know the people, but like the community I'm from is very resilient and family oriented. And even though everybody has had their struggle in that place, like everybody comes out resilient because we have each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. And I've been mm-hmm. blessed to have a village my whole life, despite the drama and all that stuff so yeah word and that's a testament to the epa like the project that i worked on is like i got to know a little bit of the epa community and like yeah it's, it's something different man it's, it definitely is something different yeah so grew up in a single parent household me my brother my sister i'm the second child of eight but i live with two of my other siblings my mom's kids my dad has four other kids outside of my mom's kids so i grew up at home with my mom she's a single parent and my brother and my sister would get dropped off first. We lived in Hayward, we lived in River City, we lived all over the Bay. But she always had to drop them off first to get to their preschools. And I was always the last one to get dropped off. Went to James Floyd Elementary in Menlo Park. And I was late every day to school from preschool to seventh grade. Only reason I stopped being late in seventh grade is because they almost kicked me out of school or they were gonna make me repeat the grade because I had been late like 29 times. If you're late 30 times, you either have to repeat the grade or go to a different school. So I was like, okay, I'm trying to get a college education from Eastside College Prep, amazing school in East Palo And the only solution that I had was move into the dorms, join the boarding program. So at 12 years old, me and my mom agreed that like, hey, if we want to really make sure that I can get to college and get, you know, get a scholarship or be the best I could be, I'm going to have to make this sacrifice and we're both had to make a sacrifice, you know, me leaving home to pursue, you know, my education, my mom having a, you know, not have her baby home seven days of the week. We made that agreement at 12 years old and I moved in. And it was then that same year when I started going on like outdoor trips. We go to trips to Big Sur, to Lake Tahoe, to, you know, going on these camping trips and stuff. The residential faculty member, Darren, every time we would go on a trip, camera trip he would bring his camera and take photos of the kids enjoying the time and on these trips i would always be like there can i play with your camera can i play with your camera and he would let me mind you i'm like 12 this is like a at the time like a two thousand dollar camera he got a fifteen hundred dollar lens on it you know what i'm saying Damn. i would not let no kid get out right. my camera <laughs> i thought because i had this super expensive camera 
that every photo was going to be National Geographic worthy because we out Big Sur. I'm like, yeah. I'm about to have some fire. I'm shooting magazine covers. I had no idea what none of the buttons on that camera meant other than <laughs> if you press down, it focuses and if you press all the way down, it clicks. Just being on all these beautiful places and never getting the shot, like everything was too dark, too bright, blurry, out of focus. That frustration with not knowing how to use this tool that I know can produce amazing results and I'm in amazing places, frustrated the hell out of me, starting in seventh grade. And I'm somebody who likes math and science and physics and Knowing there was like all these components of math, science, and physics in this camera, I was like, bro, this has to be a way. I know I can get it. I know I can get it. By my junior year, I ended up buying my first camera from my friend, Antonio. $50. It was a little point and shoot. Canon PowerShot ELPH 1000 or something like that. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> he had already been rocking with it. Uh, he took photography there. I never got the chance to take photography class on campus. I was busy doing a bunch of other stuff. My mom actually bought it from his mom for me for $50. The screen was cracked, but it worked. Yeah, I took that thing everywhere during school. I was taking pictures in class. I was taking pictures at basketball practice or in our workouts. I did theater. I was on some high school musical shit at one point. I was okay. doing theater. I would do like theater for like the first 30 minutes of my elective and then go to uh -huh. basketball practice. Dope. You know what I'm saying? And I would uh -huh. have my camera in both. Dope. You still have those pictures? Bro, I got the hard drive. The hard drive failed on me like Five years ago. Oh, uh, damn. You can save that. You can rescue that someday. It's just expensive, but yeah. When I get a bag, I'll have them photos from 2014 yeah, back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I used to take pictures all the time to the point where like they started using them for the, the you know, journalism, oh, sick. Okay. the school yearbook or the newspaper. I'm like, bro, I'm just out here taking photos. Like mm -hmm. before I had that, I used to use my phone, like HTC Hero or whatever phone I had, LG Lotus, whatever. I was always taking photos. My freshman year of college, I went to Bowdoin College in Maine, small liberal arts school. I told you about my partner, Kibante, who helped me book my first professional shoot. Yep. That happened six months after I went to DC for the 20th anniversary of the Million Man March. So I went with him, he was working on this honors project and he wanted to document the Million Man March. So he got me, three other students and funded it through the school, got some money to go to DC and just Ask people questions. And I hadn't used the DSLR since, you know, middle school because I've been working with my point shoot, which I gave to my little cousin. On that trip, I had culture shock. I was in D.C. with a million black people and I'm going to school in Maine with a million white people. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I had culture shock and I just felt in awe. I never seen such richness of black people from all over the place. And my whole job was just to talk to as many people as possible and ask them about their experience at the Minimum March and what it means to them. Right, so you're shooting video with a DSLR? Yeah, with like a T5 or something like that. Word, 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 word. First time shooting video? My first time shooting video with a camera for real. Okay, okay, okay. I just press record. I didn't know none of the settings or nothing like that. I just press mm -hmm, record. Mm -hmm. We didn't have no microphones, straight internal microphones. Word, okay, okay. So yeah, the whole goal was just talk to as many people as possible. And it was then that I realized, oh, snap. Not only do I already enjoy talking to people and hearing their stories, but when you have the camera, there's a special, they're more vulnerable. People need to be heard and want to be heard. And I didn't realize that a lot of these people I was interviewing had never been asked about these questions or asked about these perspectives. There were certain conversations. All I had was an iPod touch and I would just record and collect the audio. 
But the curiosity led to them wanting to share out, you know, whatever they wanted to say. And I realized there was a lot of value in that because people were saying stuff that still affect me and change my life. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 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 so when I realized that the camera allows for vulnerability from other people, I was like, okay, I like this. How can I continue to apply it? The summer after my freshman year, like the first week after my freshman year, I got sick. I had viral meningitis and shingles. It paralyzed half my face. It was hard to look left and right. I couldn't taste. I could feel my face. I just couldn't move. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't move none of this. I had to take my eye down and go to sleep in daytime. Like if I didn't have eye drops, I could go blind, which is not what any photographer wants to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was during that time I got really sick, got to the hospital, did the first professional shoot. I was still recovering though. And I went back to school for my first semester of my sophomore year. And I was just fucked up that whole semester, bro. Lord. Yeah, I was yeah. not 100%. So you were out of the hospital, but you're just like kind of depressed. I didn't realize I was depressed till the end of it. Word, okay. But like the only time I took a photography class was that semester when I was sick. I was still recovering from my, like literally physical health. My brain was swelling. So I was still having these constant headaches from my brain turning to where it needs to be. And then everybody looked at me, literally looked at me differently because I looked different. <laughs> so Kat saw you before? And after, and yeah. they saw the difference, yeah. Yeah, like people didn't know how to approach me. I just wanted to be treated the same, but yeah, people right. didn't know how to interact with me. Cause yeah, I understand yeah. though, like I understand like there's fear. You don't know what to say. You're like, bro, his face, he does not look the same, oh. but I'm the same person. And right, this doctor said I had a 50-50 chance of my face recovering. I was like, okay, cool. I'm about to thug it out regardless. You know what I'm saying? But it was during that semester like of recovery that I failed A class. And my dean was like, Darius, why don't you just take a semester off? It's like, no, I got this. I got this. Instead of listening to her earlier on, I just ended up failing a class. So I ended up taking the next semester off. And I had an internship at the Palo Art Center that summer. And then I went to San Jose State for a semester where I took a digital media and arts class. It was during that semester that I learned how to use Lightroom. I learned how to use Photoshop. I learned how to use Premiere. Just a little bit, I learned what masking was. Because my school being a liberal arts school, they didn't have none of those classes. They teach you how to think, they don't teach you the tangible skills, you know what I'm saying? But at San Jose State, I was able to get a little bit of that. Professor was super dope. He's like a pioneer in low-riding culture right now. Ricardo Cortez in San Jose. After that semester, I recovered, my body recovered, my face recovered, went back to school, started a fashion magazine. I also changed my major. I initially went in for neuroscience and chemistry, switched to visual arts. I knew the skills that I had, and I knew there was a bunch of people on campus that were dope. My friend actually hit me up and was like, hey, let's create a fashion magazine. I was like, hey, I'm just here to help people learn how to use these tools. So we ended up having a really dope fashion magazine. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. So was that when you figured out you just want to dedicate your life to being a photographer. And that semester off, while I was at some of the state, that's also when I created Our Voices. It was a, literally a homework assignment. Like I was getting paid to shoot proms and like high school portraits and stuff like that. Like, I was like, during that semester off, I realized I can make money doing what I loved. So I was like, okay, when I go back to school, I'm gonna keep doing this. I just need an excuse to do it and get my degree at the same time. And I knew I was gonna have the camera. Just am I gonna be happy with the camera or has the had the camera off to the side and get something else. 
Right, 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 right. So the whole time you're doing this, you're doing it because it's something that you love and it's rewarding for you. Was there any thoughts of like, this could make me rich or anything like that? Man, that thought didn't come up to 2020. <laughs> okay, okay. Like I knew I could make money doing photography in college because I was making money. I was working 40 hours a week in college when I shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. Probably could have had better grades, but I was working on my craft. So what can you say? In 2020, I had an internship for this ad agency called Duncan Channing based in San Francisco. I worked on like the California Tobacco Control Program campaigns to like stop teen vaping, worked on covered California advertisements, bunch of dope stuff, man. They had one client, which is the Vote From Home 2020 campaign. And they're pretty much trying to get people to register to vote from home across the country. And yes, I'm working on a campaign. I'm like making Snapchat 3D filters and stuff like that for Snap, Instagram, banners and stuff. They saw my portfolio was like, Darius, I wonder if we can use any of these photos of yours and license them for a national campaign. I was like, what? Try to use my work for a national campaign? Let's talk. And it was then that I realized, okay, they licensed the photos from me. Over a million people saw them across the country. It was like a national campaign and I realized like, okay, the four pictures that I took two years ago just made me a cool couple bands. You feel me? Wow. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And now what? You got my wheels turning. That was one portion of 2020 that taught me you can get rich doing photography. And then the other part was I went on this road trip for Road Trip Nation in 2020. It's like a PBS documentary about doing it differently. And one of the people I interview is a, a Tiwa Jefferson. He's a sports photographer, super raw photographer. When we interviewed him, he was like, yeah, I just bought my mom a house off photography. Oh, I was wow. like, all right, all right, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. This is what I'm doing. So just to know that what, if one person can do it, especially if another black man can do it, that's it. So you saw that example and you were like, all right. You know, you took me to like an agency get together. Yeah. yeah and I met a lot of good folks, man, mostly white male and females no knock against them that's just like the nature of like the industry historically but then when you saw an accomplished black man who bought a house that's when it became very real for you right for his mom for his mom for (laughs) For his his mom mom. not for him for his mom that's dope man that's dope so now we're still working on getting that house man we got to get that house (laughs) word All right, listen up, guys. I'm sorry to do this. I got to take a quick break from this interview to let you guys know about something very special I have going on. About three years ago, I created this company called Art of Storytelling. And basically what we do is we sell cassette tapes of Slick Rick's The Art of Storytelling. Just kidding. So I run a full service production company. We do everything from ideation, pre-production, production, post-production, very much geared around solving problems through storytelling. So the next time you're in a brainstorm meeting with your boss and he says, we need to create a video to create impact or to make a splash for some sort of initiative, send him my way. I promise you'll be the hero. You'll be the office hero once they get that beautifully shot vertical video that everyone watches on their phones. Hit me up rel.mov on ig chances are i have a video that you need already 
let's talk it through all right back to the program so yeah let me get into the first segment so there's a segment that i like to call for the love of money It's a segment that I hope to kind of build some transparency around talking money in the creative space. There's a lot of inequities in what people get paid. And I think a lot of it is because people don't talk about what they make. And I will preface it by saying like, you're in your 20s. You're still in the very early stages of your career. You're very accomplished, man, for someone in your 20s. But you still are in your early stages of your career. So... You know, you might have to do some free gigs here and there, you know what I mean? But like, I think you're in a position where you can be a little bit more selective. Man, I was doing those free gigs well into my 30s. You know what I'm saying? That being said, what is the lowest pay you would take right now? I could tell you most recently, lowest I've been paid for a gig is like 150. It was me doing behind the scenes photography, but I would have did it for zero bread. That's the type of gig it was. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it was the mm-hmm. fact that I was in this space. I would have did it for no money because of how special the opportunity was. I don't know if you know who Karika Bailey is, but he's this rapper, overall dope artist from Sacramento, but he stayed in Oakland and doing a lot of great work with like men's wellness. He has a podcast with him and his wife, Felicia. I actually interviewed him and he was in a documentary that I made called Black Daddy the Movie. This overall talented dude, man. And he really rapping. It's constantly it's real in your soul. You know what I'm saying? He gonna make you feel uh-huh. it. And he invited me to do some BTS for a music video that was shot at the De Young Museum. The main attraction right now is the Kehinde Wiley exhibit. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. So Kehinde Wiley did the portraits of the Obamas. He's done a lot of dope stuff. Yep. But he partnered with the DJ Museum to create some content about men's wellness and a song and a music video there. So I did BTS in the space and it was just five people in the whole exhibit. Dope, dope. So, okay. I love that you said that you still are doing free shoots. Relatively free. <laughs> yeah, relatively. Let's just say that. I mean, 150 is, to me, that's kind of like free. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, it sounds very like entitled to say something like that, but like, to me, that's basically, you're not getting paid. So say like a gig like that, what was your takeaway that you got from doing that free gig that's greater than money? Oh, man. Beyond the money, it's that building the relationship with Kariga. You know, not everybody has access to Kariga. And he calls yeah. me to help him out, you know, to document his moment because he trusts my vision. So when he say, hey, I need you to come shoot at the De Young today, I'm going to pull up. Because I already know how it is for artists as well, you know. Artists don't be having bread like that. Artists are on the come up and they're investing in their craft. So when he takes a percentage of his money to invest in me to make sure that I can grow along with him, I'm cool with that. You know what I'm saying? And I think as long as like you're doing things, you're not compromising who you are to Mm -hmm. do a free gig. Like, you know what I mean? It's something you truly love. And you're building connections in the network, man. It's going to come back tenfold, man. It's cliche to say, but if you do something you love, like, the money comes to you. You know what I'm saying? And I I truly believe in that. And this example is proof that, like, you know, you will have to keep doing those free gigs every once in a while. There just has to be kind of a return of investment. Whether it's, it's just something you love to do, it's a great networking opportunity, you know, it has to be within that realm. I know some young creatives that just refuse to take any free work. And I see opportunities missed because of that, like either free or low paying work. And sometimes you just got to do it, man. And 
So yeah, that was a great example. If you don't want to work for free, but you want to create something dope, then you have to make something. Mm -hmm. You have to make something. Which means working. Which means working. So mm -hmm. for instance, right, like this is Boxer from San Francisco named Steve Johnson. He's next up. Mm -hmm. His mm -hmm. time is on the horizon. He went to my high school for a little bit and I'm just watching his journey. I hit him up. I'm like, hey, Steve, can I create something for you? And I'm going to do my best to, you know, I did photography for him. I did like a mini documentary. I haven't dropped it yet. I haven't even posted the pictures for him. But like, if you don't want to work for somebody, make something dope for free. Like make an offer to somebody that you want to work with, you know, something that a lot of photographers do. Like they'll offer free photo shoots to somebody that they admire. It might be a rapper. It might be anybody. But like, if you don't want to work for free, you at least got to make an offer to get to that next level or stay uh, uh, tapped in with those people. Yeah, yeah. You need to put in work in what you want to do for a living. You have to do that. You have to put in your time first, mainly because like you got to prove that you can do it. You know what I mean? You have to have examples that show that you could do it. And also it just sharpens your skills. Like you get better each time you do it, man. You got to put in those 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours. 000, yeah, 10,000 hours. Yeah. And I, I really believe that you got to become a master, even though this field, we're always learning, but you got to put in that initial work. Yeah. Okay. Last time we went on a shoot, we just went to Salt Lake City for a shoot. You had a new contraption. It was a GoPro with a mic and a handle. It was your vlogging mic, right? Your camera. And then you busted out two like point and shoots that you just got. Can you give me a rundown of your cameras? Oh, man. All right. So this is my dual wheel. These like two revolvers, you know what I'm saying? In a wild, wild right. west. So those are your everyday, you're just ready to shoot with those two. Yeah. This is a Ricoh GR3, made in Japan, 28 millimeter equivalent lens, crop sensor, F2.8. Wow. It's known for street photography, but I try to push the limits to do whatever. You know, I'm not limiting it to only street photography. I do portraits with it too. When we linked up in Salt Lake, I think I only had this one for like maybe four days, if that. This is the GR3X which is a 40 millimeter equivalent. Yeah, they're dope. So the prime point and shoots basically. And I got these because when I was in Prague, I shot with a film camera called an Olympus Mu2, 35 millimeter F2.8. And I just love shooting with that camera. And it's like a digital version of it. Okay, okay, dope. So these are just two of my 15 cameras. <laughs> okay, so what are the others? Like, you don't have to go through all of them, but like your yeah. favorites. Well, my workhorses are the Sony's, you know what I'm saying? I got an A7 uh -huh. R4, I got an A7 IV, I got an A7 III. Uh -huh. My favorite film camera is my Hasselblad 500CM. That's my medium format, six by six camera, serial number 1981. And that was a gift from a good friend from Maine. He's like my host dad at Maine. Okay. He's always been supportive of my craft and he's a photographer too. He was a professor at Kobe and he still supports my work. so. And I got a drone too. I love that drone. Uh -huh. Mavic Air 2S. Mavic Air 2S. Okay. Yeah. You're kind of glossing over the drone work, but like you got some dope drone work, man. Like, oh, like man. every shoot that, <laughs> every shoot we go on, I was like, yeah, Darius, get the drone up there, man. We need, we need some drones. <laughs> yeah, you, you're super aggressive and the shots just are oh, so epic, man. I'm aggressive? <laughs> no, you do because you have to be somewhat aggressive when you fly a drone because like I fly scared. Cause I'm mm. afraid I'm gonna hit something. Like I might want to do a crazy turn, but like, you know, I'm just nervous I might get out of range or something like that. But 
you you're kind of fearless with it you know what i'm saying and that goes a long way you yeah. know it's still kind of scary it is scary it is scary you kind of have to work within that fear i guess you know what i mean i've definitely crashed a drone man i've definitely crashed a drone I think everyone that I know that has drones, they're on their second or third drone. That's just like uh, part of the game, man. Part yeah. of the game. <laughs> so let's talk more about film photography. So like, I'm older. I'm like, I'm I'm older. Okay, let's just leave it at that. I'm older, but it was it was an wait, adult. Wait, wait, I grew wait. up. <laughs> wait, remember uh, Kevin Hart? He's like, damn. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right, you can bad, say that. Right. Yeah, that, that that requires a damn. But I grew up at a time where everything was analog and film was the only choice. For photography you know what i mean but then the digital era came in and that's when i really got into like shooting mostly video you grew up in a time that was digital but now you have a deep passion for film photography why this passion for film that's tough i ain't gonna lie it's a little bit of everything so over the last like seven years people have been going back to film and i'm not going to play like i haven't been one of the people that bought into it like i need a film camera I think for me, it's more of a technical thing with my Hasselblad, right? Like it's a unique shooting experience. Mm -hmm. These cameras don't have viewfinders, right? My Hasselblad's viewfinder is like looking through the world, seeing everything as a movie. It's beautiful in that way, right? There's more technical differences, I think, amongst film cameras. And I'm a nerd for technical processes, not developing and printing, but more so the technical element of taking the photo. I think in addition, especially with film, film is hella expensive, bruh. The whole process yeah. is expensive. Um, I think for me with film, I really enjoy being able to slow down and being intentional with shots because that helps me when I have a tool like this and I'm moving faster, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And going back to the technical, especially with medium format, medium format film, the six by six film that I shoot, that's equivalent to like, what would be like 85 megapixels, right? Yeah. I might only get 12 shots in a row, but with intention, I could get a higher quality image or higher quality print when I'm shooting. So there's the technical reasons why I shoot film sometimes. Also the kind of serendipity that comes with the errors. You never know if you got a light leak, it might come out fire. Yeah, right. So yeah, I like playing with film for those reasons. I probably got a hundred rolls of film in my fridge that I just haven't shot yet, but I'm saving those for like special, special shoots. We had this film conversation and, and I have a film camera too, but I get stuck at the developing mm. stage. Like I just don't develop my film. I'm sitting on film that I've shot decades ago that I haven't developed yet. I'm just so used to the digital workflow now that I just get stuck there. But yeah, something I got to work on, man. Like the return on investment. I mean, I guess what you're trying to get out of shooting film, but like, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. You can shoot a whole roll and get like two photos that you like. You know what I mean? So when you shoot a roll of film, how many end up being like bangers? When I shoot film, I feel like everything come out bangers. Yeah. And not Why because it's that? film, but because mm -hmm. I took more time with the shots. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm shooting on my 35, it might be one. I ain't gonna lie, it might be one. But uh -oh. I feel like for me, I slow down a lot more when I'm composing my shots. Like I do the editing mm -hmm. with my eye and my feet rather than yeah, yeah. trying to crop in later or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Where 
Yeah, you almost convinced me to start shooting film again, but then I got home. Almost. I was like, nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just yeah. like to crank stuff out, man. No, I feel uh, but yeah, that's what makes you who you are, man, and everyone else. I got a lot of respect for folks that shoot film. It's just not my thing, man. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, word. One thing that I'm really like happy to who have met you and, and work with you this year is the energy that you bring. I've been in this game for probably like, man, two decades doing content creation. It's a field that can easily fall in your ways, stop learning, stop growing, get kind of jaded, you know what I mean? But being around like folks like you, that young energy, there's still that hunger, you know what I mean? There's still that drive. And for me, that's re-motivation, you know what I mean? So like for my OGs out there, like it's important to keep that young energy around you, to keep you learning and motivated and like tapping in with the youth and see what's cracking. What keeps you motivated right now, like to keep going? Oh man, to be honest, every day's a struggle. No, I'm With my craft, I know that I'm always gonna be a photographer. It's just a matter of how great can I really get at this? I'm blessed to have a lot of dope, talented, OG mentors, right? Like I got Ariel on my team. I got Rail. You feel me? <laughs> I know all of my favorite photographers personally. Where? Squint, Demandre Ward, DeAndre Forks, Moses Kenneth. You know what I'm saying? I know all these people like personally, and I see them constantly working on their craft. I'm like, bro, I don't even post on Instagram, but I know I'm going crazy. The photo god level is Gordon Parks. Uh. And I don't want to recreate Gordon Parks' images. I just want to feel that way about my work. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. until I can feel like I'm not even chasing photography anymore. I'm chasing stories and just wanted to take the pictures in those stories. This is going to yeah. happen. Like that's what's motivated me. Like what stories are out there that I haven't seen or heard or told yet? Like who needs to be heard and how can I help? Like, yeah. That's my motivation. Number one. And then seeing how my mentors or my peers are thriving and telling their stories or photographing makes me just want to show them how I do it my way. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I think I got some unique sauce. I'm just trying to bring it all to the table. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Who's the photographer that you said, that one of your favorite ones that you haven't met yet? Oh, oh. He's like probably two, three years older than me. His name is Philandis, based out of Detroit. Okay. Sh Street photographer yeah. film, right? He does film? Portraits. He does film. Yep. He shoots film. He gave me a lot of game on how to shoot medium format film and just following his story. Yeah, he's yeah. dope. Yeah, I he's follow right. his YouTube channel. Yeah, let's put it out there, man. What's up, man? Hit us up. Let's go to Detroit. But tap in. You guys do a photo shoot, do a little print series, and I'll document the whole thing. Hey, I would love say, to do that. Don't maybe. I'm about to get on his uh, PR team. Hey, bro. <laughs> send the sound by over. As soon as we're done, send it over. Let's make that happen. That would be okay. the follow up. <laughs> we'll do it. All right. So I'm going to get in the next segment. I have a segment called Scope Creeps. So a scope creep is a term that creative professionals use to describe when a client's expectations or deliverables increase over time without any conversation about money or time compensation. I know you're in your early stages of your career. That's usually when a lot of the scope creep situations happen. Do you have any scope creep stories? Oh, man. All the time. <laughs> and I think it really only happens with video. Like on my yeah. on my side, like yeah, 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 and that's why that's another reason I want to stick to photography because I know what my deliverable is every single time. 
Yeah, um, that's that's a good point, man. There's so many moving parts with video that it's easy for the, the scope to get increased. Like it could be like, oh, we said a one minute video, but we actually want a five minute video. And then that, that can add a week, two weeks to your scope. You know what I mean? So do you have a specific time when uh, that you remember where the scope just changed? Man, I could tell you it's happened four times this week. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's why it requires being like very clear upfront with like the deliverables mm -hmm. and how the deliverables are handled. So the most common scope creep I run into is how many edits, as in like how many oh, re revisions. revisions. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't give me all your feedback and revision by revision, you only get two for real. Yeah. If you don't give me all the upfront. They're going to drag out five, seven, ten revisions. Um, yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. And that's like, this is so much work. It depends on the budget and the time. Mm -hmm. But like, that's probably the most common scope creep I receive is how many revisions yep. and constant feedback. There might be something small. Like, the worst one is changing the music. Yeah, because I changed your whole edit, man. People Bro. don't understand that. It's like, you should have gave me direction on the music ahead of time. You know, exactly. if this wasn't the vibe you wanted, you should have told me what vibe you wanted. Yeah. And I've learned over time, like, to try to figure that out ahead of time. And the weird thing about working with people that aren't creatives is they don't know how to articulate the creative that they want, which is understandable because like I have a hard time doing that sometimes. But it puts us in a position where we kind of have to be mind readers sometimes, you know, yeah. and kind of like guess what kind of music that they like, you know. So when are you forgiving with the revisions? Like, okay, we had a deal. It was three revisions max. And then they come back with another one. Like, are you forgiving if it's yeah. easy? What if it's a big one on the third one? And, and they say, like, we actually want to move this part in the back to the beginning and try this and this and find new video. Like, what if it was something like that? After, like, three revisions, it's another budget. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I learned this. There's a, a freelancer expert, Jamie Brindell, mm -hmm. white dude on Instagram. I found him. Yeah, like two ebooks, and they tell you all the responses to say when a client says this. Or client oh, says wow. this. You know what I'm saying? I what's, can, it, what's it called? Jamie Brindell, The Business of Freelance. Yeah, it's pretty cheap too. I think it was like $10 for the book, but he has so many now. And it's a, basically a book that provides responses to come in claim. Right, issues. so this one of them is called 50 Freelance Conversations, right? Mm -hmm. The other one is called Freelancer Year One, The Practical Guide to Getting Your Business Off the Ground and Into Profit. It's like maybe 100 pages or something like that, but it's all free game or- Free game. $10 worth of game. That's practically free, man. It's practically free and it's, going, yep. it's helped me so much. Like, For instance, he has one that says, when showing the client your first draft, Keep in mind the strategy we discussed headed into this and make sure to frame our review in that context. At this stage, there are still some finishing touches to be added. I just wanted to get your thumbs up on the foundations of this project. Like that's something that we would do for our first draft, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well said. If a client asks you, can you send us your rate card? Jamie writes, I don't have a rate card per se, just because there are so many factors that could produce a pretty wide array of budgets. Let's talk a little bit more about what the goal is here. And then I can pin down a quote for you. Like these things, I wish I would do when I first started. Cause they'll, like, I don't have a rate card. I don't have like an hourly price either. I do have a day rate. And that even depends on what I'm doing. Like if it's a day rate for drone, like all this stuff changes. 
by the scope. Yep. These conversations, I think, help with scope creep, especially yep. when it comes yep. to those revisions that I was talking about. <laughs> yep, yep. But great resource, man. Great resource. Yeah. We got to look for that. Okay, so we're winding up, rounding up the end of the show here. Oh, um, I'm just going to ask a series. Oh, I got, I got more questions. I'm going to okay. ask a series All of right. questions here. More quick hitting answers. What does the next five years look like for you? Oh, well, you're going to be in your 30s, man. Your early 30s, old I, man. Hey, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay, where, where, like, where, where are you seeing yourself? I see myself retired by like 35. Nice. I know things get more expensive, but I'm trying to be an aggressive investor. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to own a property by 30, maybe two. You know what I'm saying? I see myself being at ease. I'm not retiring from photography or video, but I think over the next five years, I'll be more intentional with the work I'll create. It'll probably be a, a lot less creating for others and more for myself. Mm -hmm. And showing my artistry rather than, you know, creating for somebody else's expectations. Word. Dope. Dope. Yeah. The next question, if you could say anything to the young you, younger you, you're still very young, what would it be? Oh, man. Save your money. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big thing right there. Like, yeah. Keep learning how to use your money. The younger me, I say, bro, chill off the ladies. <laughs> show off the ladies the one that's feel that, that you man, want man. she's on the way brother so yeah 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 oh good advice good be advice good with your time yep okay ai do you fear it or do you use it both yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah yeah I hear you. as a photographer i don't fear it in the same way that like ai is going to replace photography right yeah 150 years ago painters feared that photography would ruin painting but we uh -huh. To this day, still have an appreciation for it. Good point. Paint, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, I use it as a tool. You know, uh -huh. if you don't use it as a tool, or if you don't use it, it probably gonna get used by it. So it's better to know how it works rather than not. Actually, and, there was a specific way you used AI for video that you showed me recently for one of your vlogging clips. Yeah, I've used AI a bunch. So I shot a clip on my GoPro. This shoots 5K, especially when you have a horizontal clip. So pretty much what I did. You probably see these tutorials all over Instagram too, but you just expand the background. I took a, a, a screenshot of a clip, my 5K clip, and I yeah. put it in Photoshop and I expanded the background to 16 by nine or nine by 16. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I generated fill for this top and bottom sections and there was still motion here. So I was able to use a 5K clip this way, generate it and put it into social media for a vertical clip. Yeah, fill in the rest to make it a vertical it's actually a 5K vertical, right? You're not losing quality, right? So this 5K horizontal, mm -hmm. I actually increased the quality technically by making it expand oh, right. and right, making right, it right. an image. So, <laughs> that must have been a huge file. <laughs> well, it's just a screenshot. So okay. I export everything at 1080. Okay. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I just but, made sure But, that but natively working in a higher res. Right, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, it looks better. Cool. Last question for my guy, Darius. For the listeners out there, can you just drop a gem on them? Once again, Once again. drop a gem on them. I'm still trying to improve, but something I definitely believe in is, is an African proverb. They say, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Uh -huh. And I feel like I've been going pretty fast alone. And I'm ready to 
have my village near me to uh, go far. Quiet. You need a team for real. Uh-huh. The solopreneur uh-huh. stuff, it's not it. Get you yeah. a team and uh, right. you can go a lot farther than doing it by yourself. Dope. Yes, sir. That's the second time someone said that. I interviewed uh, Tomas and he said the same exact thing. Oh, yeah. And Tomas, he got a team. Like, I literally yeah, yeah, have been learning team. so much from Tomas and how he operates. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that great guy to look after, man. Word. All right. On that note, thank you, Darius, man. If anyone wants to stay up to date with what you got going on, like, how can people keep in touch? Most definitely. Yeah. Y'all can stay in touch by following me on Instagram at Our Voices. That's H O U R V O Y. SES. I came up with that in 2017 while I was at San Jose State. And it was inspired after I started doing my photography or the documentary at the 20th anniversary of the Man Man March. Mm-hmm. And during that semester, I remembered feeling like my photos were less about the pictures and more about the stories that I was hearing. Mm-hmm. And when you break down our, H O U R, it's a double entendres. Our is our collective. You know, people, a mm-hmm. group of people, but the H makes it our moment. It's our time mm-hmm. that we share together. Mm-hmm. Voices is V O Y S E S. Void in Spanish means I go. So I go to capture our voices, our moments, our time. Oh. So even though this sounds like it's supposed to be a music group or something, it's actually all about <laughs> visual storytelling. Dope. So. Dope. I love it, man. It came from that moment, huh? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Sick. All right. We out. Thank you, mate. Deuces, man. Thank you so much. Yes. And that was the interview with the homie Darius Riley. Just a great conversation as always. You know, one takeaway is the resilience. Darius did shout out his resilient community. And we didn't get too far into his background, but I know there was a lot that Darius kind of didn't have access to growing up but found access to very smart individual when we're on location on shoots he's always the one troubleshooting macgyvering something to make it work and yeah it just reminds me of the hunger I had when I was younger you know the desire to just get it done I think when we get older the setbacks that we might have faced when we were younger can end a project or even you know like we won't think of solutions that you would think of when you're younger because you know when you're younger you don't have access to certain things to resolve certain situations if that makes sense you know and when you're older all you can think of are those specific ways to solve a situation whereas when you're younger you can be resourceful use your network use your how-to skills to resolve something and uh, all of that probably didn't make sense to you but that's okay because this is the Rel and Friends podcast and these are thoughts coming from my mind and my thoughts rarely make any sense we'll see y'all next time shout out John Reyes